Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. I'm super excited to spend some time with you guys discussing this week's lesson, which was entitled Sharing the Story of Jesus. Now, when Jesus changes someone's life, they have a testimony. But that testimony, because it's provided to them through Jesus Christ, is his story. Christ is in them, and he is the hope of glory. He's writing his law in their hearts. He is giving them a new heart. He's, they're, they're being changed from glory to glory through his intercessory ministry on their behalf in the heavenly sanctuary. And so he is making actual, he's making real in the life of willing human beings what he did. 2,000 years ago, and that's why our testimony is his story, and that's why this week's lesson is entitled, Sharing the Story of Jesus. Every changed life is a new chapter in the story of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says something really interesting about our testimony, our story of God changing our life. It's found in Revelation chapter 12 and uh, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. So Jesus has overcome and he has cast down the accuser, the one who condemns, the one who is after us, who wants our defeat, our destruction. And it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony or by the word of their testimony. The sharing of our story is powerful, so powerful that it defeats, it overcomes the enemy, the accuser. Now, I think that this is the case because words enforce or reinforce thoughts and feelings. So feelings expressed strengthen feelings. Feelings ex expressed, belief expressed, experience expressed, strengthens belief and strengthens experience. It's true that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but it's also true that as the mouth speaks, it strengthens what's in the heart. And so as we freely express, as we freely communicate God, as we uh, emanate God as lights of the world, that gives us more power, more strength. We align ourselves more with God's spirit and with God's purposes and therefore are strengthened in him. People can disagree with my logic. They can reject my evidence. Um, that, that happens frequently. You can give the strongest argument, the most compelling argument, the clearest argument. You can give solid evidence, sound evidence upon which people can base faith, but they can reject it. For many reasons, people are complicated things. And there's a spiritual war going on around us. And so who knows what prejudices they're bringing to our interactions with them? Who knows uh, what hurts and pains and difficulties and challenges and prejudices that are wrapped up in a person? And so if we go around just arguing, 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 
although there's nothing wrong with making a good case and presenting a good argument, uh, people can just reject arguments that they're easy to reject, they're easy to dismiss. Uh, people's perception is not always clear. And so even the best argument, the clearest evidence is not going to work for people. And so the lesson brings out that since there's overcoming power in sharing our story, we should be willing to share our story and how our story, which is Jesus's story, is indisputable proof of God's power to save. And so there's a man, the lesson brings this out, there's a man He's discussed in Mark chapter 5. He's one of the demoniacs of Gadara. So Jesus and his disciples, they cruise across the lake. And when they get to the other side of the lake, Genesaret, they find themselves in the country of the Gadarenes. And now there are two men, according to Matthew chapter 8, uh, in these caves that are dwelling in caves, these men that are dwelling in caves, and they're possessed by demons. And they're mutilated because they tear at their own flesh with stones night and day, and they moan and groan and cry in agony and in despair and in torments of Satan in these caves. And they can't be bound with chains. And the Bible says that, that they, they, when Jesus and his disciples get out of the boat on the shore, these men come rushing at them. And the disciples, they, they book it. And Jesus stays calm, and Jesus confronts them. And these men... They, um, they're, they're there and, 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 and they begin to interact with Christ. And a demon speaks, a demon speaks and says, have you come to torment us before the time? Because Jesus had commanded the demons to come out of the man. And Jesus says to the demons, what is your name? And the demons respond, our name is Legion because we are many. And then Jesus begins to cast the demons out and the demons, they beg that Jesus will not just cast them out, but that he'll cast them out into some swine that are being herded on a nearby hill. So Jesus consents and he sends the demons into the pigs. And when the demons get into the pigs, they run the pigs down the cliff into the lake and drown them. The herdsmen run to town. They've, seen, they've just seen what's happened. The people get stirred up. They run out to see what's going down. And there's a man who they knew that they were terrified of. The Bible says they were frightened by this person. And they had been terrorized by this person. And he was sitting in his right mind. And sitting there in his right mind, the people got spooked. They got scared. They didn't know how to handle what they were seeing. Now, they were scared of this man when he was possessed by demons. And they were also scared of this man after he was freed from demons because the transition was so stark. The change was so drastic and extreme. They, they just didn't know what to do. They were, the Bible says they were afraid in Mark 5 when they saw this guy. What does this communicate? I mean, these Gadarenes, these people of the Decapolis, they might have disagreed with certain aspects of Jesus's theology. Like it's true, a theological presentation can be powerful. It is powerful. God's word says that it never returns to him void. So the heart filled with care and concern and conviction, preaching the word of God, making solid arguments from scripture, teaching the texts of scripture. There's power in that, no doubt about it. But these people, 
they could have rejected Jesus' theological understanding of Scripture and the teaching that he delivered to crowds. But one thing they couldn't do was deny the effect that he had on that demon-possessed man. That man stood as a proof in point of the power of God, and no one could deny it. So, this serves as a lesson. Now, you may not have been demon-possessed, but according to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, when you are without Jesus, you are dead in trespasses and sins, and you walk in accordance with the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. So due to the fall, due to what you have inherited from the fall, you are genetically disposed to self and sin and Satan. You are morally disposed towards evil and depravity. It's just the facts, and this is why we need to be born again of the Spirit. But when we find Jesus, we become new creatures in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. We become God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God shapes us and molds us and fashions us. He speaks power into us. He saves us. He delivers us. He frees us through what he did 2,000 years ago. And, and so there's a change that transpires, and it's powerful in its, in its effect. And so telling the story is important. So these people see this man. He's changed, radically changed. They're spooked out like, ooh, what, what, what? It's awesome. It's such a cool story. It gives me such cool visuals. And, and so this guy wants to stay with the Lord. And he's like, can I come with you? Like, can I come with you? I don't want to, I don't want to just go back to my old life. And Jesus says, man, I'd love for you to come with me, but I need you to go back to your friends and to your family. And I want you to tell them the great things that God has done for you. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go and teach them all the technical details of the book of Ezekiel, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like he's saying he wouldn't testify of the truthfulness of God's word. But he just says to this guy, I did something to you, and I want you to share with other people how good God's been to you in sending me to deliver you from those demons. When someone's delivered from demons, everyone acknowledges it. I remember when I gave my life to Christ in 1999 in August, I left Orlando, Florida very abruptly. And the next time I returned to Orlando and I saw people around town who knew me, they looked at me and they had this strange look in their face. I could see it as clear as the noonday sun. And they were thinking, what happened to this guy? Who is this? Dude, that's the power of Jesus. And so I told his story. I shared his story. And as I shared his story, I could see the longing in people's hearts. You know, People like to muddy the waters with technical details, and the devil likes to get us bogged down in technical debates, when in reality, it all boils down 
to are we responding to the Holy Spirit in our heart and in our life? And you remember the occasion where Jesus in John chapter 4 is interacting with this, with this Samaritan woman. And, and as he is bringing her to a point of confession and repentance, she starts to get into technical details of, of, of theological understanding. You Jews, you say you should, we should worship in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans, we disagree with that. What do you say? And she, she tries to bog Jesus down in this theological debate as a way to evade her conscience and where Jesus is trying to get her to. And that's to the point of repentance in his name and to release herself into his hands and to allow him to affect salvation in her and to free her. And this happens at times. And so Jesus doesn't say to this freed demoniac, go convince everyone of specific teachings and their veracity. He says, go tell everyone what God has done for you. Now this doesn't preclude, of course it doesn't preclude him teaching fundamental truth. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Okay. The Bible says in, in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may through uh, sound doctrine both exhort and convince the gainsayers. So, so there's, sound doctrine is important. It's not either this or that. Either teach God's saving grace through your testimony or teach doctrine and theology. No, it's, it's, it's not either or. It's and and both. But dry teaching that doesn't have the power of Jesus and it, that's not, you know, coming from a changed life is really no good. It's really of none effect. Now, I want to kind of move on to some other uh, things that the lesson brings out here in regards to the power of our testimony. Uh, we've covered a little bit of what Sunday's lesson talks about, the basis of our testimony. And it really is an examination of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I alluded to some of what that passage says. And I might read over it here in just a second, but um, we, we touched on it just a little bit. In, it's in Monday's lesson. James and John are discussed, and I want to just highlight what the lesson has to say about these guys. It's really cool. It talks about how Jesus gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder in Mark chapter 3 in verse 17. Now, just think about that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if he gives you a nickname, it's not just like, he's not just being clever or goofy or whatever. He's not just like making fun of you. He's, he's calling them sons of thunder because they were sons of thunder. I come from Florida and we have massive thunderstorms there. And you haven't heard thunder until you've heard thunder like the thunder in Florida. Like it shakes you, physically shakes you. And when a lightning bolt flashes through the sky and the thunder follows it, man, you can feel like the house shaking sometimes, literally. It'll shake your house and rattle your windows. And so Jesus calls these brothers, the sons of Zebedee, the tradies, the fishermen, the guys who lived a hard life, who were rough and tumble, pragmatists. And he's like, you guys are sons of thunder. This is reflected in Luke chapter 9 when they're following Jesus. And there's a Samaritan village that does not want to extend hospitality to Jesus. And so as a response, James and John, they say to Jesus, would you like us, as Elijah did back in the old days, to call down fire from heaven and burn these people? And Jesus responded by saying, 
you don't know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but he came to save them. James and John were misapplying an Old Testament story because they had vengeful, bitter hearts and they were violent and brutal fellows who were happy to burn you to death in the name of God, if you would not be hospitable to them, if you would not show them courtesy the first time they interacted with you. Do you see? They were sons of thunder. We'll exterminate those wicked Samaritans. Now, it is true that God did fry Ahab's soldiers when they came to Elijah belligerently. And this was to protect the prophet. This was a divine judgment on a group of people who had, had brought themselves to a point where they were irredeemable and the act of their destruction or the act of destroying them was not an aggressive response to an insult. It was just simply a, a, a measure by which God protected the prophet and communicated a message to a group of people that were entrenched in the most vile and disgraceful practices. They were entrenched in them. They were settled in them. The divine judgment being used so freely, like being applied so freely, showed the wrong spirit. And Jesus says, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. Now, the lesson brings out how often in the writings of the apostle John, the concept of love is taught. In his gospel, he quotes Jesus in saying, uh, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would give his life for his friends. Uh, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we may be called sons of God. If you don't know, if you don't love, you don't know God, for, for God is love. And so you've got this guy who's, who's always communicating love, love, love. And it's not because he's soft and it's not because he, he's become, you know, wishy-gushy and weak and sentimental. It's, it's that he's been converted. He's been changed. He doesn't want to destroy people anymore. He wants to save them because he doesn't have a heart of thunder anymore. He has a heart of peace because he surrendered himself to the Prince of Peace. Now, if you knew James, if you knew John, and you saw that transition, it would be very hard to deny the power of God in them. And it would be very hard to deny the story of Jesus. Whenever I talk about this subject and this idea of, of being a reflector, an imitator of God as dear children, man, it just, it's so convicting. So convicting. It was easier for me when I was working full-time preaching and doing evangelism because you're always praying, you're always interacting with people. But now I work in an office and it's an administrative role and it's similar to what a lot of you guys are engaged in. You just, you do a job, you do a job and, that, and in your job, you might be an accountant, you might be a legal professional, you might be a tradesperson, you, you know, you might be a teacher teaching on secular subjects. And, and you can become very mechanical in your approach to life. 
and you can lose your love. You can lose your first love. You can lose your passion for God and for people. And that surrendered experience that you had, it, it grows cold. You know, the Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew 24 and in verse 12, because iniquity will become universal, because sin will be abounding, it will be plenteous in the world at the end of time, the love of many will grow cold. But those who endure to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness, and then the end will come. So it's a, this, this message, this Sabbath school lesson is a call for God's people to endure in love. And it's a call for us to not be afraid to share because we're not perfectly knowledgeable in every subject. Rather, we just communicate our story, which is his story. And we overcome the accuser. We overcome the enemy through the blood of the lamb, through what Jesus has done for us, and through the word of our testimony, our expressing that in our life today, our reliving the gospel story through communicating what we have experienced with God. Now, the, the last thing I want to talk with you guys about here in this commentary is the man of, of John chapter 9. He's not mentioned in the lesson, but he could have been. And uh, this guy was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus when they were walking by him one day, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, well, he wasn't born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin, but so that the work of God could be revealed in him. It's powerful. And the work of God is to believe on him whom God has sent. And through the story of John 9, Jesus heals the man of his blindness. What he does in the, in the story, you read there in the first few verses of John chapter 9, that Jesus spits in the ground, he makes clay from the spit in the dirt, and he rubs it in this man's eyes. And I think this is an allusion to the creation story, where Jesus is forming man from the dust of the ground. He takes the dirt, and he forms the man, and he breathes into the man. He can create a human being from dirt, from carbon. And, and if he can create mankind, he can, he, can, he can heal mankind. And so he sticks that clay in his eyes, and he sends that man to the pool of Siloam, and the man washes in the pool of Siloam, and he can see. And everyone's amazed. And they report it to the religious leaders. And this is the Sabbath. And they're freaked out. Who healed you? You're carrying your bed. Why are you carrying your bed? It's the Sabbath. Well, the man who healed me told me to pick up my bed. Oh, that's a different story. I'm confusing it. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm confusing that story. But anyways, I'm human. In John 9 story, the, the word gets around that he was healed. The Sanhedrin pulls him up and they begin to investigate what happened. They're not enjoying hearing that it was through the power of Christ that this man was saved. They disapprove of Jesus's claim to messiahship. They don't like him. They don't like how he's functioning. He's not coming through them and respecting and honoring their positions of greatness and their knowledge. For them, it's not about the work of God. For them, it's about who gets credit for doing God's work. And so they hate what they're hearing and they're trying to find ways to discredit it, but they can't, not even after bringing his parents there to listen to his parents. 
And they say, look, yeah, this is our son. He was born blind, man. I don't know how he was healed. Didn't he already tell you guys? And he did tell them. He's like, look, man, this guy, Jesus, he put clay in my eyes. He healed me. They're questioning him. And when they questioning him, he's like, question him. He's like, look, dude, um, from the beginning of the world, has anything like this ever happened before that a person born blind could see? We know that God doesn't hear sinners. I mean, if he were a sinner, could, could, would he have done what he did? I mean, would God have heard him? And they're like, ah, you're going to preach to us? You're going to preach to us? Don't preach to us. Anyways, he, he gets a little bit spicy with them. He stands his ground and they kick him out of church. They excommunicate him. He's cut off from his people for Jesus' sake. They can't deny the testimony, man. They can't deny the witness. Now, providence chose. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in blueprint theology, but I do believe that God is the sovereign of the universe and he orders all things in accordance with his will. And that being the case, providence placed that man in the position that he was in. Now, why would providence place a man who knew very little on a theological level in that space? When they called Jesus a sinner, his response to them is, is, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know is that I used to be blind, but now I can see. Providence chose for that man to be in that position at that time to stand in opposition to, stand, uh, to, the, to the, some of the greatest minds, arguably the most educated men on planet Earth. Aristotle called the Jews a nation of philosophers, and that was a huge compliment coming from him. The Jews were highly developed intellectually. They were, they were very thoughtful people, very careful people, very learned people, very studious people. And this man, this blind peasant beggar who's been sitting on the side of the road his entire life, not receiving an education, not learning practical skills, but begging. And Jesus sends him to be the testifier of the truth of the power of God. But he has no, no theological training. He has no you know, intellectual development on a theological level, but God chose him. Why? Because his story was Jesus's story and it was undeniable. And his testimony was his life. It was not theory. It was not concept. It was not, hey, here's my, it wasn't, you know, whatever. You get the point. So guys, don't be afraid to be a witness, to tell his story. There's power in that. Sometimes the most powerful witness is one that comes from a person that's less than perfect and less than knowledgeable in every area, in every space. So study deeply and learn scripture. The Bible says study to show yourselves approved before God. You want to know and you want to learn. My people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. This is eternal life that they may know you. We want to know. We want to learn. We want to study. We want to grow in grace. We want to Get deep and not just beyond milk. This is all true. But at the same time, at the same time, the power of our witness comes from our changed lives. You're connected to Jesus. You're, he's the vine. You're the branches. You're connected to him. He's in you. You're in him. There's that symbiosis happening. You're going to bear fruit. You bear fruit. You speak. Don't let the devil shut you up. Don't let the devil make you ashamed and afraid. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. So express freely, share freely. Uh, now be wise, be, be you know savvy, that's fine, man. But just don't uh, be scared. 
Don't be scared. We live in a world where people are ashamed of what they shouldn't be, and people are not ashamed of what they should be. And uh, it's time for God's people to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not perfect. You don't have perfect knowledge. But you have a story of how Jesus Christ has brought you to life. God bless you guys. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining me. Have an awesome discussion this week in Sabbath school. Just so that you know, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. You can find Sabbath School Commentary, North New South Wales Conference on Spotify. Also, all things evangelism and all the things that we produce in the North New South Wales evangelism, personal ministry, and Sabbath School departments. We love you guys. We pray for you. And we hope that you have a fantastic Sabbath. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Bye.